Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian-in-Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, the Beatitudes. We dive into some nuances of translation that make a big difference to our understanding of this beautiful and well-known text. What world of meaning is being conjured up with the word blessed or mercy or meek? We try to sketch more and more fully what this text imagines the proverbial kingdom looks like and what it would mean to live into it right now. In this text that seems both to sit in its present moment and to extend into the future, the question of what we can do right now and what we can expect when we do it is at the front of our minds. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bobby. It's good to see you. Hey, Amy. It's good to see you, too. I normally try to exist out time of time and space, you know, outside of time <laughs> I know and space. You do. Yeah. Yeah. But I, this week, I just like I, I want to say that I am visiting my parents in Clemson, South Carolina, and so I'm recording this podcast from the church where I grew up, Fort Hill Presbyterian Church in Clemson, and the pastor, who was my longtime pastor, Jim Richardson, died about three weeks ago. And oh my god! I'm just feeling very grateful for him, just being here in this place and like remembering things and like he was a very formative influence for me. He was my pastor for mm. I don't know like 25 years. Very much the reason that I start that I went to seminary and all of the things. So, I'm full mm. of nostalgia and gratitude and I um, love that. That's very yeah, like the Dorvador from yeah. generation to generation. You're Amen. back in the church doing the work that he taught you to love. Exactly. Well, may his memory be a blessing. Thanks. And may his spirit give us something interesting to say during this episode. <laughs> no, we'll have interesting things to say. Yeah. The be- we're reading the Beatitudes. Yeah. Those are, those are interesting. His, his favorite thing to do, or at least the thing that was my favorite of the things he did, was when he was preaching, he would often, just in the middle of his sermon, refer to a Charles Schultz Peanuts cartoon. Mm. And mm-hmm. I was, as a kid, I found that so amazing that, you know, he'd be preaching along and he's like, there's a Peanuts cartoon about this. And then he would just explain the, what happens in the cartoon. The cartoon. And so maybe, like if he were here, he probably would have a Peanuts cartoon for us, <laughs> which okay, might make to... the podcast more exciting. But It might. Okay. Now, uh, gosh, it's been a long time since I've read Peanuts cartoons, yeah. but if anything comes to mind, I'll be sure to um, yeah. bring it up. Charlie yeah. Brown, that guy was meek and humble. I bet he inherited the earth. Oh, he was for real <laughs> meek and humble. And he was for sure persecuted. I'm not sure if it was for righteousness per se, yeah. but he was persecuted. Was he? I know he experienced himself as persecuted. Well, Lucy persecuted him. That's true. That is true. With that stupid Frickin football Lucy. game. <laughs> <laughs> but she persecuted him because she loved him. Did she? Yeah, she just didn't know how to express healthy. <laughs> I, I don't know. She didn't know how man. to express healthy love, so she jerked mm. a football out from in front of him all the time. All the time. 
Mm. Yeah. So Beatitudes. So Beatitudes. <laughs> right. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. We are. Today. We read a good bit of chapter 4, but there is actually something plot-wise that we need to connect us into the beginning of five. When we left off, I think Jesus was just finishing up with his temptations um, and had gone to Galilee. But that's it. Yeah. So, and then in chapter five, all of a sudden, when Jesus saw the crowds, he goes right. up the mountain. <laughs> yeah. So we need like a little bridge. What What did we miss? What do we need to know? I mean, there's two basic things that happen in that little... A set of verses there at the end of chapter four. One is that Jesus calls his first apostles, which we don't get in the narrative lectionary this time through. Although I, th- I think we get the story in other gospels later on in the four year cycle. Mm-hmm. But this is the this version of the story is that he f- sees the disciples fishing, Peter and Andrew. And he calls them and says, I'll show you how to fish for people. And then they they come with him. And so he's gathered around him, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and then another set, that, another set of folks for his 12 disciples. The other thing that has happened is we just get a report, uh, not really a narrative, uh, right at the end of chapter four, that Jesus has been traveling around throughout Galilee and teaching, announcing the good news, and then healing people. So we don't mm-hmm. get a lot of detail. We don't get any detail about that, but we get the sense that some time has passed and, and Jesus has been gathering people around him. He's been performing miracles. He's been preaching the gospel of that the kingdom of heaven has come near and he started to attract attention to himself. And so by the time we get yeah. to chapter five, there seems to be a, a good little crowd that has gathered. I don't know whether to hear what he's got to say, to see the healing power that he has to offer to receive healing yeah. themselves, maybe some mix, probably some mix of all of that. Anything else you would say to bridge the gap? I think I think that's the bridge that that I would need at least as a reader. Yeah. Yeah, and it and he's he's doing a lot of healing. Yeah. So, yeah, it takes yeah. some Matthew spends a little time. Um they were bringing him people with diseases, mm-hmm. those in pain, those possessed by demons, those with epilepsy, those who were paralyzed, and he healed them. And he cured them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mhm. So then we're going to I will pick up reading in chapter 5, you know, you and I were just talking about how there's there's not really a great way to split this text into chunks. Yeah. But split it, we shall. We so, shall. So, you know, we're just going to do the best we can here. So, so we're going to start off reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I am reading from the NRSV. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay, this this is dumb because I just didn't realize it until I read it out loud. I guess I sort of pictured that he had gone up the mountain and was speaking to the crowd. Yeah. But that's not what's happening. Is it? It is unclear. Oh, okay. So then it's not that dumb. No, it's not dumb at all. No, 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 it's definitely not dumb. Yeah, so he goes up, he sees the crowd, he goes up a mountain, he sits down and his disciples come to him. And so it's not clear where the crowds are now. Has he sequestered himself away and talked just to his disciples? I think that's a yeah. totally reasonable way of reading it. 
does his disciples come close to him and then he speaks to the crowd right. from the mountain? I think that's a right. totally reasonable way of reading it. To me, the best solution is if you if you were to skip all the way down to the very end, this speech that Jesus has begun right here is yeah. as a whole known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it extends all the way through the end of chapter seven. And in chapter seven, verse 28, Matthew says, when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Mm. And so they have been listening, even if Jesus wasn't talking to them, which maybe I he see, was. I see, I see, I see. But they have heard what he had to say. So that, I mean, kind of one way of thinking about it is Jesus is got two audiences, or maybe you would even think three audiences. One is his disciples who are close to him. One is a larger set of people in Galilee. So he's talking to the people of Israel, I guess you would say. And then maybe the third audience is the readership of the Gospel of mm-hmm. Matthew. So we are we are overhearing what the crowds are overhearing as Jesus talks to his disciples. And so it, there's this kind of rippling out. That's the way I put it together. Yeah, that's uh, that's really helpful. Although now I'd, I'm going to want to toss around in my head, what's the difference? Like, how does it change it for me if he's talking to his disciples as a primary audience or if he's talking to everybody? Yeah. But I have not thought for one second about that question because it didn't occur to me until yeah. just now. So yeah. I will not offer any thoughts about that at this time. The question that really jumped out to me as I was reading, and it's partially because of the great footnotes in my Bible, which I read from the Jewish Annotated New Testament. Whenever I have heard the Beatitudes before, I see, you know, I hear blessed or blessed, you know, yeah, and I, and I immediately in my mind connect that to the word blessed, Baruch, which we say all the time, yeah, but not so often about people as about God. Mm. Baruch Adonai, like God is the one who is yeah. blessed. But what caught my attention reading the footnotes this time is that the word doesn't doesn't compare so well to blessed as much to, in Hebrew, ashrei, which means like happy. Yeah. Happy are the people. Does that, does that ring true for you with the Greek? I, it's interesting. The Greek is makarios. And so sometimes these, this format formula is called a makarism for that reason. Mm-hmm. And which doesn't, help anything <laughs> other than to say if you hear someone there say the macarism yeah. like mm-hmm. that's which always makes me want to do the macarena which was like a dance from the 1990s that you might remember that people I, still oh, do oh i do at I weddings do and that. things uh, but it's not that now i'm just picturing jesus and the disciples leading the crowds in the macarena and it is musing to me in my own mind but probably not uh worth talking about but okay this this is definitely not worth talking about but now i have to say it there is a a long prayer, fairly long prayer called Ashrei that we say three times a day in the Jewish community. And it's like a real mouthful of Hebrew. It's an acrostic. So, you know, anyway, goes through all the letters of the alphabet. And we teach it to kids in fourth grade. And it takes a lot of practice for them. And the rabbi who was at my shul before I started made up a dance to go with it to help them learn it. And it was basically the Macarena. <laughs> uh, amazing. We've got that all came circle. back around. I had no idea that, that was going to come back right around. It came just right back around. Yeah. Okay. But Beautiful. you were saying. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I'm reading the Common English Bible. And when I, when I was prepping today, I was like, oh, it, it reads happy are. And I was mm. like, I don't know if I love that. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting for you to read blessed are and to be like, I'm not sure if that's exactly. Because I think it actually somewhere sort of exists in that space. 
Mm. Blessed is a little overly religious. Yeah. Happy is a little too just like straight emotional. Yeah. And so I think there's some, like in the Greek dictionary that I'm using, it describes like the one definition of makarios is blessed by receiving God's favor. And another is happy feelings associated with receiving God's favor. And so there's mm-hmm. this sense in which God's favor is the background mm-hmm. to this to either way. So if, if you translated it as happy, happy response to God's favor, and not just as like, I'm happy, I right. think that's that gets pretty close. Yeah. No, and that makes that makes good sense, I think, with what it's saying. You know, blessed exactly. are the poor in spirit. They're not like happy, like this is delightful. I love being poor right. in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> or what a blessing that I am poor in spirit. Right. But instead, you know, happy for the blessing that that maybe comes mm, from being in that state. You're pointing to something that's really important. I mean, this form, the Ashray form is blessed are is familiar to readers of Proverbs. It's kind mm-hmm. of one of the ways in which Proverbs Proverbs expresses like the right way of life, what it means to live a life in God's presence. And in the Hebrew scriptures, that blessing, that happiness has kind of a present reality to it. If you live this way, you will be happy. You will, you will experience life as a blessing. Mm. The Beatitudes here that we're reading are not exactly that. And you pointed that out really nicely. Like, like eh, I don't know that hopelessness is really unhappiness. And are really the same, like you would process that the same. You know, one way of processing that is that these Beatitudes in Matthew have sort of an eschatological sense to them. Like Mm -hmm. those who are hopeless now Mm -hmm. will in the future be happy. I think that is certainly in view in Matthew. Mm -hmm. I do think though that it's worth, like you are doing something slightly different than that, which is to say, even though one is hopeless, there is a deeper happiness in the present. That was one of my other sort of questions about this whole thing. And uh, I mean, no, Greek is very precise about tense. <laughs> is, can you tell, is this like, it, it does it have a future looking sensibility about it? Like you, you are, you are blessed because of what's about to happen or you are blessed now because Jesus is here. So it's happening now, or you are just blessed because God has special care for people in this position. That's such an interesting question, Amy, because some of it has very much a a clear future reference. So like in verse four, the CEB has blessed are those who grieve or happy are those who grieve because they will be made glad. That in Greek is a future passive. Mm -hmm. So there's a future Mm -hmm. sense to it. Mm -hmm. But verse three Happy are the people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That is present tense. Mm. And so I love that because I think it's capturing what I was trying to say a minute ago, which might have been what you were trying to say two minutes ago, which is that these things seem to have both a present moment to them, but Mm -hmm. also a future extension. So Mm -hmm. there is, you are now living in the kingdom of heaven which will produce gladness and all of these other things in the future, which therefore makes you glad in the present, but it's a, it's a gladness that has a future edge to it. 
that's really helpful. And I love the, I love the, uh, complexity. I love the complexity of it. I had one other, um, thought again, really just from the outstanding footnotes in this study Bible, which suggests that when it talks about mourners, it may also be referring to people who are sort of mourning the state of the world Mm. as much as mourning an individual person who has died. But it makes a little, it makes a little more sense to me to think that someone who is grieving over the state of the world would be in this sort of special category for, you know, things are about to change for you. Yeah. Unless Matthew's making a statement right now about, you know, yeah. death not conquering all, then, you know, maybe he is. But it fits in well with the idea of sort of the kingdom of heaven yeah, really being reflected on earth sooner rather than later. Yeah, I really love that. One of the commentaries that I read in preparation is Daniel Harrington's commentary uh, on Matthew, and he connects this verse to a text that we actually read. I think we read it earlier this year. We've read it together anyway, to Isaiah 61, 2 and 3, mm-hmm, which is that mm-hmm. place where the prophet says, the Lord's spirit is upon me to, I forget exactly how it all goes. Uh, then Jesus picks up in Luke chapter 4, which I know we talked about last year or two years ago. But the end of that is, uh, the Lord's spirit is upon me to comfort all who mourn to provide for Zion's mourners. Mm -hmm. And to me, that fits really well with what you're saying, because in the context of third part of Isaiah, the mourning there is about the exile and the disruption of the community that has happened at the hands of the Babylonians and the restoration of that at the hands of the Persians. And and it is very much, I mean, there is a personal side to that for sure, but it's communal mourning about the the way things are and how the world is not oriented Mm -hmm. the way that it should Mm -hmm. be. So this is in some way the people who can see that the world yes. is not the way that it should be and who feel the pain yes. of that. They yes. don't look away from the pain of it. I love that way of saying it. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to say about these opening verses? One of the things that's interesting to me about just these first couple is, you know, we're going to get into some sort of attitudes and actions later in these mm-hmm. Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. But these first two, at least the way that I read them, are just states of being people who are hopeless, yeah. people who are grieving. And yeah. there is something that's I don't, it's lovely to me that just the experience of being in the world and what that, the emotions that that brings can be a source of blessing. I don't quite know what mm-hmm. to do with that, but, you no, know. No, I really, you know, you got me thinking about these moments when this, the pains of the world are so overwhelming that I, that I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I know I should do something, but I don't know what to do because everything feels too big. And yes, it, you know, Matthew will go on and it, and it becomes pretty clear that you are supposed to do things. You're not supposed to sit and not try to make things better. But just the fact that you are like truly in your soul bearing witness to what is going on in the world and feeling it, mm-hmm. that's a real thing. Yes. And, and it's the first, I guess it's the first step to doing anything yes. else. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a nice thought for those moments of paralysis. You want to see who else is blessed? I do. We're happy. Okay. So I am picking up in verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, and in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, so I think that we could easily sit with each of these and be here for a very long time talking about <laughs> yeah. it, but <laughs> but probably that's not, probably we shouldn't sit with all of them. I will tell you one of the ones that that really stood out to me, and, and we can even just take turns talking about what stands out to us if you want to do that, okay. is this blessed are the merciful. Mm. And I, I got curious about, again, like what do they mean by, what is... I keep trying to think back to Hebrew. It's so frustrating that I can't consult the Hebrew. (laughs) And I, I, I wonder if this sense of mercy is connected to chesed, to loving kindness, or to rachamim, which is compassion. And I can talk about, I can talk about what I think would be the resonance of those things, but I don't know. Do you connect this word merciful to anything, to a particular concept that would have been active at that time? That's such a good question, Amy. Harrington connects this to Proverbs 14, 21. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those who despise their neighbors are sinners, but blessed are those who are kind to the needy. And the word there is Mm -hmm. chesed, Um, Mm -hmm. the the ones Mm -hmm. who show chesed to the needy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a a fine and good connection to make. Mm -hmm. if you make the connection that way, how do you process that? I mean, the way that I understand chesed is it's often translated from the Hebrew as loving kindness, but that yeah. is kind of a, a concept that was made up just for to translate the <laughs> <Right>. word chesed. <laughs> but I picture it as this like complete openness and like generosity of spirit and connection to other creatures and beings um like there are no there are no yes. boundaries there are no limitations there's no scarcity there's no it's just like a totally open armed you know truly like mikasa sukasa but like truly truly yeah and and in you know when it's talked about as an attribute of god it's always balanced with something like justice or judgment, which which does have boundaries. Like God has boundaries. <laughs> God has chesed, but God also has boundaries. So I wonder if that's what they're going for here, this like really open-handedness in the world. I really love that. I, to me, that makes a lot of sense of this text, especially connecting it to the Jewish tradition that, that Matthew is coming out of and that sense of mercy as a compassion or kindness or chesed as a, all-encompassing attitude about how one interacts with neighbors. I think that makes a, I think that makes the most sense. So individual acts of mercy are important, but they are part of this broader framework of just living a life that is in deeply covenanted relationship with those mm-hmm. with those around. And yeah. then the promise here is that if you are able to live that way yourself, that you'll receive that back. And I I think there's an eschatological component. Like if you treat others that way, God will treat you that way. But I also think there's just a present reality that the 
Jewish tradition well recognizes that if you are able to live with people in compassionate, merciful ways, then they will respond in like manner. And so we could, we could create a place for ourselves. We could, we could live in a world of compassion and mercy if we would learn how to extend compassion and mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that the way, I love the way you sort of took it from the, as you always do so nicely from the, the God level to the humans among humans level. You know, if we're, if we're trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, this would be a good start. Yeah. Yeah. When Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven, even when you talk about the like fullness of the kingdom of heaven, I think he's talking about what's it going to look like for us all to live together once Mm. God's reign is fully realized. So Mm -hmm. even when it's the way God treats us, it's still about the way we treat, the way we treat each other. I think that, I think that's an important connection for reading Matthew. One of the ones that strikes me, and it strikes me because I've been reading with you, is happier those who are humble. Mm. And I, I don't know humble. I don't know how I feel about humble. <laughs> I feel like humble can get, get us some good things, especially for those of us who are ego-driven. But I feel like humble can also be problematic for those who are expected to be humble or, sh- or shrinking or however you want to mm. describe it. And you have helped me with that by talking about this concept of anava, anava, yeah, uh, which I know I've had some conversations with people around Patreon who have really been struck by that idea as well. And so I was reading uh, Harrington's commentary again, and he connected this to Psalm 37, which mm-hmm. says the weak will inherit the land, and the um, and the or the meek will inherit the land, and the word there is anavim. Mm-hmm those who live according to the principle of anava. And so I, I was like, oh, that totally like opened this up in a, in a whole different way for me. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder, you are so, you do such a nice job of describing that. Could you just say it again? <laughs> I try. I'll tr- I will try. I will say anava is like, I know you're not supposed to pick like one, <laughs> one character attribute to work on for your whole life, but but for many years, I feel like this has been the one that's been front of my mind. The idea is just to, to, to take up the space in the world that is rightly yours and not shrink back from it and not take up space that is not rightly yours. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. And, and that's just remarkably difficult to do. I think some of us are sort of naturally or socially programmed to make ourselves really small and some of us are naturally or socially programmed to to fill all the space there is and anava is a call to both of those people to everybody to be more mindful yes you know you're 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 selling yourself short if you're not taking up the space that is yours in the world and if you're taking up someone else's cut that out (laughs) No, I love that. It's so funny, Bobby, because I also looked at Psalm 37 and I also saw Anavim. And then I just like looked it up in sort of an old school, you know, BDB kind of dictionary. And it just said like poor, needy, weak, afflicted. And I was like, okay. But I I didn't really think about like the concept of of Anava, which really broadens, I don't know, enriches what what that's calling for. Mm -hmm. The Greek there is praus, which my Greek dictionary that I'm looking at here 
defines as the positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind manner with humility and consideration, which I really like really? that definition oh, too. interesting. Yeah. That does kind of fit with Anava. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. That's really different than just saying the poor. Yeah. Or the meek. Yeah, the meek. You know? That's the, the way you the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. Yeah, that's really different. Hmm. That inheriting of the land or inheriting of the earth to me, like, I don't know. I just feel like that is one of the, that is one of the ego drivers of the world. And like, we want, some of us, some among us want more possessions and more, we want to rule more people. We want to own more land. And um, the concept that the way, the way one actually like belongs to the whole or the one Mm -hmm. like inherits the whole is by living in this kind of right-sized, kind, embracing community mm-hmm. with others. I just think there's a whole different model there of like how, like if you live rightly with all people everywhere, then in a sense you belong to all people everywhere. Yeah. And so all of the places belong together. Yeah. But it's not because you had the power to make somebody give you their land. It's because you loved them in a way that you just share each other's land. Yeah. And I don't know, to me that like the farther I sort of push that one, the, the more fascinated I become by the whole concept. And that just fits so well with what we were talking about with chesed, with mercy yeah. and the idea of this sort of ba- openness and connectedness, like boundless interconnection with others. Yeah, that's really beautiful. What's another one that stands out to you? Well, I think this one stands out to me because it's, I feel like the, the ante gets raised here. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted yeah. for righteousness. Righteousnesses? No, righteousness sake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't need the extra. For sake of righteousness for is the how sake- I get around Okay, that good. Yes, I like that better. I mean, I guess, again, that's just sort of like, in some ways in my mind, that connects to like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, like who, who are are so yeah. craving this rightness in the world that they endure whatever whatever they have to endure for that. Yes. I don't know if it's the fact that they're, do you think the fact that they're persecuted, I mean, it certainly makes it harder on them. So they're like, they've like leveled up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, so I love that you connected the two instances of righteousness here in verse six and in verse 10, because I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we've been talking all along in Matthew that righteous in Matthew's sense is righteous in the Jewish sense, which is not simply about piety, but about all the things we've been talking about. Living in the world in a certain kind of way, living rightly because you're of your orientation to God, Mm -hmm. you live in ways that are humble and merciful and kind and peaceful. And so this is not simply like, you have a nice inner attitude of pietism, but it's a, you live a certain kind of way. And I appreciate Jesus just straight up saying right here, if you live like that, you're going to be persecuted. Right. Like the world does not world, look kindly on yes. people who are merciful and humble and compassionate and peaceful. It just doesn't. And so this is going to result in persecution. Yes. I mean, it, it bugs, like, I don't like it at all. Because right. I like, what kind of reward is that? Right. But but I think it's honest and it's true to the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And so in a sense that a sense what I think Jesus is saying is if everybody loves you, maybe you're not doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me of um, that sort of phrase people throw around. That's like, you know, if, if nobody's mad at you, you haven't said anything or like, you know, yeah. if, if you made everybody happy, you're not doing anything. Right. Yeah. No, it reminds me of that too. And I know people who wear this verse as like a badge or like they, they're just really difficult people and they yell a lot. And they're like, if you yell back, they're like, I'm being persecuted. And then they're like, but see that God loves me. And I'm like, mm. I don't think that's what this verse is doing either. Like, yeah. I think this verse is saying, be kind, be humble, be compassionate, make peace, live kindly with your neighbor, create a community mm-hmm. in which everyone is loved and valued and respected. And certain kinds of people who tend to be the kinds of people who are ruling mm-hmm. the earthly kingdoms. Mm-hmm are not going to like you for that. Right. The, those actions by definition almost upset the yes. things that stabilize the empire. They upset like capitalism, you know, they, and that that's going to make people mad. That's it. Yeah. To me, that verse, I lo- I think that verse is really important. And to me, it, you cannot talk about that verse meaningfully without also talking about verse nine happier those who make mm-hmm, peace because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like it's really easy to get a persecution complex where you feel like people are not treating you well. And that can make, that can make us violent. Mm-hmm. And here it's the, the interest is making peace with everyone. Even it seems with those who are persecuting you. And so how do you recognize a person who is living righteously? Well, it's somebody who brings peace with them wherever they go. Yeah. Part of me, like, you know, like the part of me who is a liberationist who thinks like this is a very privileged thing to be able to say, like it's it's easy for middle-class white tenured professor dude <laughs> to be like, hey, it's awesome, you know, just like be, because like the stakes are pretty low for me to be, mm-hmm. to be honest with myself. And so whether, like I always feel so uncomfortable talking to people who are in marginalized communities saying, if you live humbly and peacefully, like you're going to get treated really badly. And that's just the way that's going to be. Mm. I don't know what to do with that, Amy. Like, yeah. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. And there is a, there is a reward that is coming. You can live that way in the present and the fullness of that way of life is coming in the future, mm-hmm. but it may not be so good for you right now. And I worry, I worry about that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And I think this is one of those things where it's like, maybe this is not like a one size fits all thing, or I don't know if there's a way to think about it in relation to Anava, like what is legitimately your work to do and what is my work to do and what is someone else's work to do given all of our talents and privileges and vulnerabilities. I do think there is a kind of peace and like a a blessedly peaceful state that comes with feeling in your gut, like you are doing what is really right, even though it's not what is easy. Mm. But you're right. The ramifications of that for people in different positions in society are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is this is not a good. We wouldn't want to start using this as like a. We wouldn't want to weaponize these verses and say everyone needs to exactly. do this in the way that, in the way I do it, or in the you know in a particular way. I love that connection of back to humility, which is the one of these that I have liked least in my life until like today. Uh, in verse five, and to say this is about right-sizing. So it's not about shrinking and taking it. 
and mm. you know, like being be allowing yourself to be treated like less than. It's about insisting on your own. I don't know what that word is. Um, what is that word? I don't know. Insisting on your like God given place in the world. Like yeah. you're you are here for a reason. Yeah, your dignity and value. Yeah, and, yeah. But I think this text is also saying there is no excuse for being violent mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. Like the way to do it is to to love others, to build community, to treat people well, to to you know mm-hmm. respect everyone else's dignity, respect everyone else's God given right to exist. Yeah. But to be a peacemaker. So that makes it a little like that makes it a little more proactive or maybe a lot more proactive. Yeah. These are hard. <laughs> These are hard. Yeah. These are hard. Yeah. We've said, we've said that a lot this season. I know. I, like I know. It seems like, I guess I just have heard them enough that I'm like, yeah, yeah. Blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just seem so sweet. They really do. They, they seem, seem sweet. sweet. That's exactly right. They, in mm. my mind, they become sweet, but they're hard. They're hard. I know we need to move on soon, but I want to ask you, Bobby, if you make anything in particular of the switch from this sort of third person, blessed are the mm-hmm. blah blahs, to verse 11, blessed are you. Mm-hmm. And then it sticks with the you for a while after that. It does. How does that land in your gut? Now, that's, that really is an important shift in this text. It's worth saying that the you there is plural. Mm-hmm. So it's blessed are y'all. Mm-hmm. That's good. When people insult y'all, I don't know how people live in in an English speaking world without this without y'all. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a useful word, it and I really wish there was a word. y'all. There might be somewhere a y'all translation of the Bible because I think it clarifies a lot of things. I agree. In some ways, verse eleven is a restatement of verse ten. Yes, blessed are those who are persecuted, and then blessed are y'all when y'all are persecuted. So I think there has been this sort of general sense of how, like, what does it look like to live a righteous life? And then now it is saying, and this is real for y'all. Mm-hmm. And I and Jesus is saying, I recognize that you yourselves are going to be harassed and called bad things because of me. Yeah. So it's not something that's out there. It is something that is right here. And on, on the one hand, I think it's helpful for us to recognize that this is talking about us or whoever, Jesus's audience. But it's also helpful to know that Jesus knows. Yeah. That he's yes. not talking some sort of abstract game. He's talking about y'all are going to be persecuted. Like, I get it. And Jesus himself, as we know, from you know, those characters in the story may not know it yet, but we do uh, as ones who have read the end of this gospel, that Jesus is going to live this out himself. Yeah. So I, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. Would you say more or other about that? I think the only, this is not quite about switching to second person, but I love how in verse 12, it it puts this in the context of the people who came before you. Yes. Like, again, it just is yes. always so helpful to me to be grounded in a, in a group larger than just me and larger than the people who are sitting here in this room with me. Like, this is a thing that has been going on for a long time. And you're not alone. And it's going to suck. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's right. And it goes, it goes straight back to the conversation we had about the genealogy and recognizing mm. the long line of people that have come before and will come after. 
This is not an individual effort. This is long-standing communal yeah. effort. And this is not, you know, you it, you joke about liking to seem like you're outside of time and space when we do this podcast, <laughs> but this story is not outside of time and space. It's not. It is. It's located. Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here. This month, Bible Worm has a special offer just for you. If you've ever thought about joining our Patreon, now is the time. For the month of January, we're giving all our subscribers access to the full range of Bible Worm features. If you join now at the Bible Worm supporter level, you can get early access to episodes, weekly worship liturgies, and video Bible studies, all for just $4 for the month. If you've ever wanted to try out our Patreon, now's the time. We hope you'll join us. And now, back to this week's episode. Okay, we better push on. Although uh, all that was time well spent, certainly. Yes. But I'm going to pick up now in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, I learned one thing about salt, but it I don't know if it really helps me. I'm going to tell you what I learned about salt. <laughs> yeah. And you can see if it helps me. <laughs> I don't know much about salt. Salt. And there was a Mesopotamian notion that salt was connected to purity and wisdom. I have no further information. I really don't know what, what verse 13 is trying to say. Can you help me? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I love that connection. And I know I want to dig in there a little bit, but I don't know. Like my... My processing of it is just much more simple than that. Good. Let's do simple. Much more tangible than that, maybe, which is like, I mean, I'm a, sh- I'm not a chef. That's not true. I cook stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> good. you know, one of the important things about cooking stuff is to get the seasoning right. And so salt and other seasonings are important. And that's what gives, that's what gives the food its distinctive character. And so there's the way that I read this is. You, people that are being addressed by Jesus, are what gives the world its distinctive character. Mm-hmm. This, there is you being in the world makes the world taste different. It makes the world distinct. You change the world by your presence. And if you lose your saltiness, then That's like funny with the current like use of the word saltiness. <laughs> yes, but I think Let's Jesus be might be salty, exactly doing people. That. Yeah, be salty, but do it in the like in the anavim kind of way. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I love that's how. I, I mean, that, that might just be my simple-minded reading. Of no, that, no, no. I love it, and I love the connection to anava, and it makes sense with what it's saying afterwards about light. Like you've just been told some scary, kind of scary stuff. Like you, you're, you're yeah. going to be persecuted. I'm asking you to do these things and telling you that you're going to be persecuted, and. And so, you know, maybe this is sort of implicit. You're going to want to hide. Yes. Because you're human. <laughs> yes. But if you start, you know, the salt metaphor seems like 
you know, hiding, hiding some true essence of yourself, making yes. your, making yourself palatable to others. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's no good anymore. Like yeah. you can't do that. Yeah. Loud and proud, strong and wrong. No, not wrong. Strong and <laughs> I don't have. No, that's one. right. You're going to yeah. wish you didn't have flavor. You are. Yeah. You're going to wish you tasted just like the rest of the stew, but you don't. And if you did, you wouldn't be you. And right. so you got to, Got to embrace the, I like that, embrace the saltiness, embrace yeah. the flavor. Yeah, I love that. And I love the connection to Anava, which is, again, like there is space in this world that was made for you in particular, for you. You yeah. have to take it. Yeah. The other thing that's going on here for me, and this is purely like me running with a cooking metaphor, mm. is, you know, like if you're making chili or whatever, like the salt is actually a fairly small proportion I ho- mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. of what goes into whatever you're making. Yeah, and so like there might be a, a risk of thinking like, Oh, people who actually live according to these beatitudes, we're so small. Like how could we make any difference? So we're not an important piece, but, but, but you are. And mm. the flavor that comes along is really important, not just to you, but to the whole, it has significance for everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, the translation of that is you who seem like a small and insignificant set of people in the world are actually changing the, the flavor yeah. of the whole world. Like yeah. you have far reaching implications. I love that. And I love how it's another call then to like, you've got to think of yourself in the context of something bigger. This yeah. is not just about you and your soul and your relationship to the divine. This exactly. is- this is also about humans living together and yeah. being like a, a unit, <laughs> a stew. Yeah. 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 I think that's exactly right, Amy. The world can be different than it is. And the way it's going to be different is because some of us, some of y'all are going to live your life the different way. Yeah. And people are going to see it and they're going to say, ah, that is a nice way of life. And they're going to live that way. And then this is how the world is going to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Or at least in part. It's going to get saltier and saltier. (laughs) Saltier and saltier. (laughs) Which to me connects with the light of the world metaphor. And, you know, we've seen a number of metaphors this season about, I mean, I don't remember exactly where, but like in Isaiah 40, make make plain the path in the wilderness so that the nations can see the arrival of the Lord. Yes. Or maybe more directly Isaiah 2, Mm -hmm. uh, the mountain of the Lord will be the highest mountain. And then in verse 5, come, let's walk by the Lord's light. And so here we have this combination of mountains and lights. And like the point is when the nations, when the world sees you, mm-hmm. then they're going to change their hearts and minds and yeah. they're going to come and live a different kind of life. Yeah. So it, this is absolutely about the change, uh, the change in the followers of Jesus. Or, I mean, I think Jesus here would say the change in the followers of Torah Mm-hmm. is not simply internal, but it is exactly about yes. the transformation of the world. Yes. And this is not new to Jesus. This is stuff the prophets have been saying all, all along. Yeah. Yes. This is not, a, and it's not a private matter. Nothing private about There's any of this. There's nothing private about any of this. I get so frustrated because, I mean, it's just a long, long tradition in the Christian world, especially that says religion ought to be internal mm-hmm. and politics is external and they should never really intersect although the world doesn't really work that way anymore but but i think that this text is very clear i think the bible is very clear 
that the internal relationships that one has with God only matter to the extent that they're expressed publicly in ways that change how you live in the world. Right. If they don't manifest in the world outside you, then who cares? Exactly. Should we move on to the last section or is there anything else you want to add for this one? If you try to make chili with the lights off, it does not go, does not go great. I, okay, here's a very important anecdote. When I was studying abroad in Greece, in Northern Greece, we went to Bulgaria for a weekend once. And the main thing that I remember from that trip in Bulgaria is that we got Mexican food, which is a (laughs) really bad idea. And it seemed as, I like salt, Bobby. Like, I really like salt. But it seemed Mm. as though every seasoning that they were unsure what it was or didn't have it readily available in Bulgaria, they just added more salt. And it was really inedible. Wow. Yeah, it's an important story. I feel like the seasoning of Mexican food is fairly subtle and complicated. It is. It's an important thing. I don't know why we thought we should go to a Mexican restaurant. It's always just fun to see what What culinary adventures you can have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, enough about salt. (laughs) Instead, let us talk about the law and the prophets. Okay, um, so I'm picking up in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Okay, the, the question that is most burning in my pocket is maybe not the one I should start with, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> in the first verse, mm-hmm. when it says, I have come not to abolish, to ful- but to fulfill. Yeah. I'm again thinking about sort of time, and I don't know if tenses is quite the right word here, but do you get a sense that this is, like you could read fulfill as, I'm going to fulfill it once and for all and like check it off. Or it can be like, I am fulfilling it and that I am an ongoing embodiment of what this law looks like being lived in the world. Which one is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's the right question, Amy. And my answer as almost always is that it's both. The way that I read that fulfill is that Jesus is the ultimate, in Matthew's understanding anyway, is the ultimate expression of everything that the law, the Torah has pointed to. Mm. That is, Jesus is showing you what it would mean to live the life described by the Torah and the prophets. Mm -hmm. But I don't at all read that as a, now that Jesus has done it, it's over. I read that as now that Jesus has done it, so you could go and do it too. It's just like another Mm. effort. Like if you read it, like here's the Torah and Moses, like here's a new heart 
uh, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that didn't work either. Here is somebody to show you exactly what that looks like. It's like mm-hmm. another step in that mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And in the in this Matthew's understanding, it is what ultimately human beings need in order yeah. to understand what it means right. to live a life. Right. To show me. Show me. Yeah. Here I am showing you. Yeah. And so you, now you go and do. Right. Not, well, that's done. So. Right. Right. Does that answer the question? No, it does. And it's so, I'm just thinking back to the last section we were talking about. It's so, I mean, I'm a person who loves examples. I always am like, okay, you can explain something in the abstract to me forever, but I would rather see five examples and then derive my own <laughs> interpretation than have an abstract thing and have to, you know, figure it out from there. And, you know, part of the example of Jesus's life is the suffering that goes with it. Yeah. Which is maybe neither here nor there for this verse, but it just, I don't know. It just yeah feels important to the conversation. There's an old, old Christian heresy, which I'm sure that you have experienced many times. The classical version of it is called Marcionism, but it's, it is all over the place. And you see it in churches, and I see it in my classroom, that says Judaism was a legalistic faith, and Jesus came and showed us that none of that matters, and all that matters is loving God and loving your neighbor. What Jesus is saying here is not is nothing is not that it's not <laughs> it has that. nothing to do with that what it's saying is the torah was right and every little bit of it matters and that the essence of torah is to love god and neighbor i mean jesus doesn't exactly say that part here but that's what he's saying yeah is if you did that you would live like this and so let me show you what that actually looks like yeah. and so the love of god love of neighbor if you've got to abstract it out and stand on one foot like that's what it is but all the everything, the the smallest stroke of the law, mm-hmm. the smallest little rule in the Torah, like that stuff matters. And so it's it's not that Jesus is overriding anything. It's that it's that Jesus is showing you that every little bit of it is urgent. Christians yeah. get that wrong all the time. Yeah. And, and it drives me, it drives me nuts. Ma- Matthew is clearer about that than some other Christian I mean, writers. Matthew's really clear pretty clear. Yeah. Very clear. So stop saying people (laughs) (laughs) the law doesn't matter. (laughs) The Torah matters. But there is every little bit of it. Where is it? Somewhere in here, there's an until, until. Okay. In verse 18, uh, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke, of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Like there is still some kind of future point anticipated when those things can change, but this is not that point. This is not that point. Right. And actually I think the Hebrew Bible might agree with that too. Like it, it has some idea that like we're in a particular period of history and there will be a point at which, you know, where there is neither day nor night, like there will be, you know, some other time when the veil of heaven is pulled back and everything is going to change, but we're not there. So, so Jesus, I've just talked myself into this answer that Jesus is saying, yes, that's still true, right? but that's not what's happening now. There comes a point when God's reign is fully realized. Yeah. And in that moment, the Torah is no longer necessary because it's just going to be the way it is, right? Mm -hmm. You're, there's not going to be anything that tempts you away. It's just going to be like 
holding hands and singing Kumbaya or whatever. And the Hebrew Bible thinks about that as the day of the Lord. And the Christian Testament thinks about that as, you know, the, the day of judgment. Yeah. But it's all of, it's all of a part. Yeah. So yeah. once God fully arrives, you don't need rules about how to live with God because you'll just know it. Right. And like you won't be working at, you won't be working against anything in right. the world like you are now. Now it's such an uphill yeah. struggle. There's no tempter, there's no alternate yeah. r- kingdom, there's no nothing to try to pull you away. And so it'll just all work the way it should. Yeah. But we don't live there right now. So the Torah is urgently important. Yeah. Amy, there's a section in verse 19 that I really love until I read verse 20. But I just want to yeah. I just want to ride with verse 19 Please. for just a minute. Because what it says is, therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others will be called lowest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Two things about that. One is that the Doing and teaching are held together here in both cases. Mm. So there is a sense in which it's not just living your life, but also helping others to understand why and how you're supposed to live a life according to the gospel, according to the Torah. Mm -hmm. The other is that in this verse, the range is from great in the kingdom to least in the kingdom. (laughs) But there's not like a outside the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The people who can't do it all the way, they're the least in the kingdom, but they're like, they just, they made it in. But that's that's kind of how oh, I read that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Then verse 20 says, unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees and the legal experts, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So like, that kind of drifts away a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay. I see your point. We'll just stick with 19. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make them hold together and I can't quite do it. I don't know if there's a way of. There's some hmm, magical hermeneutic. I mean, the one thing that we have talked about in previous podcasts, in previous seasons of the podcast even, is if you think of the kingdom of heaven as a present reality that is coexistent with and contrary to the empire, Yes. then what it's saying is, if you want to live in that alternative reality, you actually have to do this stuff. Yeah. And if you don't, you're just going to live in the other reality. You're going to live in Rome. You're going to live in the empire. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't about who gets into like futuristic right. heaven. It's right. about who can actually live in the beloved community now. Yes, and I think you have I think you have in the past proposed I don't know readings but like thoughts sort of like that that it's it's like it's it's the natural consequence. Like you have a choice now, are you going to live in this kingdom of heaven as it's reflected on earth or are you not? I'll tell you it's going to be hard, but do you want to do it? And if the answer is no, then you won't. <laughs> right. It's not yeah. so much like someone's going to punish you. Yeah. It's it's that yeah, is that you yeah. you've you've weighed the pros and cons and you have decided against it. I think that's it. You can either opt in, which is living in the way that we've described here and it's going to result in persecution, or you can opt out. Yeah. Jesus clearly thinks that the legal experts and the Pharisees have opted out. And I go back and forth like, here's two ways of reading it. Yeah. One is the legal experts and the Pharisees, who are the people that you most think actually do live righteously, are not good enough. And there's the, for the bar is really high. Mm-hmm. Or you could read it as the legal experts and the Pharisees who talk a lot about the Torah don't actually get it. Right. 
And so it's something about talk mm-hmm. and walk, which mm-hmm. kind of goes with Matthew's interpretation. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, I know, like there's a, there's a wide open array, array of responses you could have to this verse. <laughs> so I'm just curious, like those are two ways that I think about it, but how do you think about verse 20? Uh, I think, I think I would tend to read it in the second way you suggested that the scribes and the Pharisees Maybe, maybe, I mean, I I don't want to like cast aspersions, but it's just it, we know it to be true that when people are in positions of power, things get really confusing, (laughs) more confusing when you have access to more power. And it seems at least as far as Jesus can tell, like they have lost their way in it and they're focusing on the wrong parts of the Torah or focusing narrowly on only certain parts of the Torah and not the parts that are going to put them at odds with the empire. And those are parts that are really important. So, you know, like, uh, you know, my, my, the, the footnote in my study Bible says the Pharisees were really righteous. So this was a really high bar. Yeah. I just, I can't read it that way. I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me that way. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes something like though, like if you were trying to modernize it. Yeah. Those there are people who talk a good talk about religion, but they're really accommodated to the empire. Mm-hmm. And you got to do better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good reading. Bobby, there's, there's a, shockingly, there are many lessons within the, this incredibly famous <laughs> part of the gospel. What is sort of rising to the top of your list? And I feel like I'm running the risk of just saying exactly the same thing every week, which is you got to walk the talk. I mean. Because <laughs> uh, that Matthew is, Matthew's Jesus is going hard after that. He's going Matthew. hard. Yeah. And so here it is again. Yeah. Here it is again. I think for me, I am, I'm stuck on a couple of things that are sort of, I'm chewing on them. I haven't fully processed them yet. One is this issue of persecution and I think the way that the way that it is expressing itself to me as I am somebody Aubrey Hendricks has this really great phrase about being like a boxer sweating in their shorts for a hegemonic pat on the head which I just like that such a like ah, such an image and I think about all the ways in which I really 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 want a hegemonic pat on the head I mm. I want the empire to be like nice job Williamson and give me tenure and, you know, pay me a nice salary and do all the things. And so I read this and I say, if you're living correctly, you're going to be persecuted for that. And it, it brings me to a moment of self-examination to think, like, am I really living on a veem? Am I really being uh, living my life with mercy and compassion and humility? And I mean, and I do in some aspects, but there's also ways that I certainly kind of slip around it. Mm. The other thing is this section on salt and light and the publicness. So it's not, it's one thing and it's important to live your life according to these certain values, but it's another thing. And it's even more important to lead, to lead your life publicly according to these values and not just to live them, but to teach them so that others can see and that they will be drawn to the kingdom of heaven. 
And if we if we all could do this and show other people how to do it, we could live in a in a world right now that seems more like the kingdom of heaven. And I'm just thinking about my public witness. Mm-hmm. And I mean I do have I do have ways of living publicly and and talking publicly and but I but I want to think more about that and the ways in which I model that for myself and for my kids and for my students and for others like being a being a public person who says there is an alternate way of life. You know, when you're thinking like, what is the church supposed to be in the 21st century? I feel like that's a pretty good answer to be salt and light, to show people that these values are the values that one could live by in order to live in something more closely approximating the kingdom of heaven. Pretty good place to start. I think I talked around, you got to walk the talk and I just ended up right back there. Right back there again. You brought in the saltiness. Yeah, saltiness. My teacher, Walter Brueggemann, people accuse him of only ever saying one thing. I have realized recently that I only ever say one thing too. My rabbi actually referred, my rabbi referred to something as Amy Torah. And I was like, oh yeah, that is Amy Torah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, Bible Torah. Yeah, that's just another, that's what I'm always saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brueggemann would always say, well, Jeremiah only had one thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Anyway. That's our salt. That's our salt. Amy, give us That's the Amy salt. Torah via the Beatitudes. This is the Matthew's Amy Gospel. Torah via the Beatitudes, and it is totally Amy Torah. As you were, this whole conversation about like this balance in the Beatitudes between not shrinking back from who you authentically are and all of your sort of God-given uh, talents and privileges and ways, but also being mindful of everyone else in the world and that you're part of a big system and <laughs> you need you know like it's not just you reminds me of a quote from a pharisee actually hillel the elder um if, yeah. if you all have heard of like the hillel's hillel houses on college campuses they're named for this very famous rabbi and it's if i am not for myself who will be for me hmm. if i'm only for myself who am i and if not now when hmm. and i just feel like that's uh hmm. A different formulation, but like a similar, you have to be loyal to that spark within you and not hide it, no matter what the consequences of that are. You cannot attend only to yourself and your sparks. (laughs) You know, there are there are other people. And you have to actually do it. Like you can't wait for the world to come and you can't Mm. wait for some time that you think is going to be easier. It's not going to be easier. Yeah. And it strikes me in particular that he lived right around the time of Jesus and that these conversations were happening across the community at this time because these questions are real. They were real then and they're real now. And I I love Jesus's formulation of these teachings in Mm -hmm. this text. And I love Hillel's also. That if not now, when I think is a really important to keep in mind reading this text because sometimes people say, well, in this future world, when heaven comes, mm-hmm. people who mourn in this world will be rewarded. And so this becomes like a, just hang on for some other time. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying, uh, Hillel is saying, is also what Jesus is saying, which is now's the time. Mm-hmm. You can live in the kingdom of heaven now. Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah. If not now, when? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Amy, next week we're going to be in Matthew 6, and the narrative lectionary has a couple of options. What we're going to do is talk about Matthew 6, 25 to 34, do not worry about tomorrow. 
We're also going to post a podcast that we did this past summer. We're going to repost it about the Lord's Prayer, which is the first part of that text. Mm -hmm. And so Mm there will be a new podcast on 625 to 34, and there will be an old podcast on the Lord's Prayer. An oldie but a goodie. An oldie but a goodie. It actually really is a goodie. Make new friends but keep the old. Yeah. One is silver. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby, it's always fun talking with you. Fun to talk to you too, Amy. I'll see you next time. Next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. A special thank you to our newest supporters, Eric Dillenbeck, Alan House, Holy Bativia, Renessa Watsky-Petkow, Harleen Young, and Shemaine. Join us again next time when the Narrative Lectionary takes us on to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Until then, keep on digging.